Good evening, everyone. Um, I'm Tracy Jensen, the vice chair of the the uh, Alameda Health System Board of Trustees, and I'm going to chair the meeting for a period of time until our chair, Dr. Dr. Chair Taft Wicket, joins us. He's going to be a little bit late today. So, um, those of you who've seen the agenda, it looks like we have a um, an agenda that's doable in an hour and a half to two hours for sure. And um, I'll look forward to the items on the agenda, especially the update about COVID-19. So um, with that, let's start. If Ron, if you could give us the roll call, please. Yes, Trustee Banerjee. Uh, I don't think she's here yet. Trustee Blue. Here. Um, Trustee Bouquet is going to be late. Trustee Dong. I don't see her yet. Um, Trustee Esteem. Here. Trustee Fox. Here. Trustee Friedman. Here. Trustee Jensen. Here. And Trustee Splendorio. Here. We have a quorum. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, the first item on the agenda is uh, is the article that was shared by the chair, and um, I found it was it was a brief article, but interesting. The um, the interesting highlights that I found were the the discussion of telecommuting. And how important it's been, and how supportive it's been of, for um, for people receiving healthcare during the pandemic, and and of course the issue of um, the the pro well the problem and the, the thoughtful discussion of diversity and inequities as we go through this pandemic. So I'd um, open it up to board members if anyone wants to. Madam Vice Chair, if I may. Uh, oh, I, and then I know we're going to have the open discussion but i i wanted to get through this quickly well, sorry public comment is, is on. yeah the public comment great if um okay well i missed that so we could go back to the article unless anybody okay sorry about that um rana i understand that there's a couple of people who wanted to to um share their thoughts in open session there are uh we can call troy nixon first are you here troy Yes, I am. Excellent. I'm going to start the three-minute timer now. Okay. Thank you. Um, um, my name is Troy Nixon. I'm a registered nurse at John George and um, PES. I've worked for AHS for 28 years, and I'm also a shop steward for SEIU 1021 for more than 10 years. I'm calling in because we are dealing with a staffing crisis throughout the hospital on a daily basis. Working short staff is unsafe and it prevents us from providing the care our patient deserves. It also slows down transfers from Highland, San Leandro, and Alameda. It creates long ambulance wait times in the ambulance bay. Our patient throughput transfer to the inpatient unit has to be delayed until the next shift because there's not enough nurses to do admissions. Um, we've been dealing with this, this, this problem for many years, and by creating a centralized staffing system at Highland has only made things worse. The union has been working continuously with administration, but it hasn't materialized to any real answers. Um, we, we need real leadership and solutions for what is a fixable problem 
We are urging the Board of Trustees to help us raise the standards of care through safe staffing because our patient life is counting on it. Thank you for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you, Mr. Nixon, for your comments. That That is definitely an issue that the board is, is following and concerned with. And um, Rana, we have another. Yes, next up, sorry, next up is Maria Betancourt. Hi, my name is Maria Betancourt. I'm a specialist clerk um, at John George. I've worked there for five years. I'm also a shop steward. Um, I work in the front lobby where we receive all the volunteer patients and visitors. And um, just like Troy said, um, I'm here today because our coworkers are deeply concerned about understaffing and how it impacts our patient care and, and how we take care of the community that we serve. Um, it's mismanaged. We meet with management at least twice a month. We bring up the short staffing and with no luck. Every day our units are short. It causes a delay in patient care, like Troy said. Um, we have no nobody at John George who helps our like our homeless patients sign up to any kind of health care, which I know it's Senate Bill 1152 says that at discharge we must provide some kind of help helping patients to sign up for health care. We don't have that. The programs are out there for our patients, and it's an atrocity that we have nobody that works at John George to do that for them. We had 100 and, over 150 patients in the last couple of months who left John George with no payer source and no one there to help them get health care. Um, I, I think it's cruel. I, I think it's cruel of management not to hire enough staff to take care of our population that, that deserves this type of care. Our coworkers... Um, need you guys to step in to address these understaffing issues immediately. And we're more than willing to meet with anybody who's willing to meet with us to provide the patient care at John George that our patients deserve. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, as you know, we, the Board of Trustees will not respond to public comment at this time, but um, that's definitely, your issues are definitely heard. And um, I would also suggest that um, you can participate or um, at least view the human resource committee meetings because there's often data about hiring and about um, about time to hire and about open positions that are discussed in that venue as well. So now we'll move on to the executive officer's reports and our chair is not here. He did provide a, um, an article which we can talk about in a moment, which I already started talking about um, before public comment. I wanted to just say in a brief remark that I had been in um, two meetings this week with the county public health officer, um, Dr. Nicholas Moss, and it it's not, I mean, we are still seeing these cases and COVID-19 is not going away anytime soon. I know a lot of people have um, become aware of the new variant of the virus, the new variant. And I, I'm sure that we'll hear more about these things when we get a report from our CEO, but that between the variants and the fact that eventually summer will end and we'll be back indoors, we are going to be in this for for some time. And so I, I'm very appreciative of staff coming to the board and sharing information and, and your concerns are heard. So um, thank you for all you do. Our staff is just the, the, the foundation and why we're here and you guys are doing it for our, all of our patients. So I want to thank you. And I want to ask if um, our, our secretary has anything to share 
board member Esteen, Trustee Esteen. I'll echo your comments, Trustee Jensen, that I am incredibly heartened by the work that our AHS staff do day in and day out, especially during this public health crisis, uh, with a need for more resources being expressed. Uh, and even when it's not expressed, we understand that our public health system has needs. Uh, and I, you know, my hat's off to you for doing the best you can with what you have. As a public health nurse, I fully understand what that is like every day. So, you know, keep up the good work and keep speaking up so you can get your resources. Absolutely. And um, that brings us into the article that was provided by our chair, which also discusses these issues briefly, you know, but what we're aware of, the, the, the value of the standards that we have in place and, and especially protecting the workforce that we have here. That in the past 15 years, there have been viruses hitting, hitting the healthcare systems that, you know, that our caregivers are, are not prepared for, that our public health system is not prepared for. And unfortunately, the caregivers often are the ones who not only emotionally, but physically, they're the ones on the front lines and often suffer from infections at a higher rate than, than even patients. So um, this article was good. I wanted to, I had a, some thoughts about it, which I've already shared, and I wanted to see if any of um, my colleagues, any other trustees wanted to comment or share anything regarding the article. Uh, yeah, I thought it was a good short article also, but for me, it um, it really points to the need of how important our strategic planning is because COVID-19 and its variants are going to be around us <clears throat> for years to come as the virus continues to mutate. Um, but in terms of what I call staffing burnout, having been a med surge nurse and understanding the short staffing and how it is a, a domino effect because it impacts every department in a hospital system. No matter where you're short, it's going to impact right down to the patient care. Um, but it's uh, we really have to get on top of our strategic planning and then also um, be more nimble is what I'd say. As new disease entities come into place and not enough research has been done yet because it's new, but we have to be very nimble. Absolutely, thank you. Yeah, I don't know if we can do that, but we better. Um, to your point, Trustee Blue, about strategic planning, I just would um, just remind everyone or advise everyone that this board is going to have two meetings this month, this first meeting. And we will have another meeting on the 17th of September, which will be a full-day board retreat. And at that time, we will be delving into strategic planning, developing. I hope to um, to see us be developing a plan for developing a schedule for our strategic plan, to um, which has to change. As you pointed out, Trustee Blue, it has to be different from it has been in the past. So are there any other comments from trustees? If not, then it looks like we will move on to medical staff reports. Is that right? Wait. I did have one comment, Trustee Jensen. Oh, thank you, Jennifer. Now I can find the agenda again. That's all right. I, you know, I appreciate the 
brevity on this article. Two pages was really digestible, uh, so I can appreciate the length. But even beyond the length of it, the content was clear and concise. And I think Trustee Blue, um, you know, bringing it around to strategic planning is great. But one thing I think the article pointed out is that it's bigger than any one hospital system, and it is really our health system writ large through our nation and, and just through the way that things are prioritized worldwide. Uh, this COVID crisis um, did something that really hasn't ever happened before. It impacted everyone at the same time in major ways and revealed that just-in-time care um, might actually not be the best solution for health, but is great for finances, but it's not so good for health. So um, that's what I got from the article. Well, that's why we have clinicians and not um, MBAs at the bedside, maybe. Um, I would then move on now to, um, and I'm sure we'll hear a little more about the pandemic, um, to our CEO's report, Mr. Jackson. Excellent. Thank you very much, uh, Trustee Jensen. Um, and I would ask, yes, thank you very much, Dave, um, for bringing my report up. Um, next slide, please. I'd like to start off with an operations and program update. Um, and of note, I don't have finance in this report and I don't have COVID, which I typically have a little bit, but we have a finance report later that will be coming from the finance committee and COVID. We have a dedicated report um, on COVID, which I will be co-leading with Dr. Felicia Tornabene, our interim chief medical officer. And so those items will not be in my report this evening. Next slide, please. Um, starting off with my rounding um, trustees and um, constituents, I think you all know that I have engaged in a, a deep dive in terms of rounding and getting to the Gimba over the course of my eight plus months with returning to the organization. Um, it is an opportunity for me to really hear from the front line and to get a sense of what's going on in the organization um, to get the pulse of what's happening. And so I have uh, been to all of the facilities a number of times. Um, I have completed 39 distinct facility visits, um, 97 meetings with individual staff, and 47 meetings with physicians. Um, I, I just think of a specific example. Most recently, I was at the Eastmont Wellness Center, and I was um, honored that um, Trustee Blue joined me for the visit, which was really, um, I think, uh, revealing for tr the trustee. We also had a good opportunity to speak with um, the medical director there, um, um, Dr. Wang, Dr. Jessica Wang. And um, I was able to certainly understand some of her concerns and challenges, but by virtue of having had that direct conversation with Dr. Wang, um, I was able to connect her with resources to address specifically her concerns around physician short staffing. And, you know, we talked short staffing earlier about nurses. We know that staffing is always a challenge, but there were some very specific elements of it that Dr. Wang was able to bring to my attention. I then was able to convey that to the recruiting team. And as a result, I believe that we have um, made some headway. Um, I am certainly more connected to the issue by virtue of having had the opportunity to speak to Dr. Wang. And I believe that she, and obviously she'll speak for herself, but I believe that she felt heard and validated and that we're doing the work necessary to make sure that we have adequate staff at the Eastmont Wellness Center to provide the care that our clients deserve. Uh, next slide, please. 
Um, you've heard talk of the walks, and so I have a couple of slides here that speak to the walks. Our first one was on the 19th of last month at Alameda, and we had over 20 employees participate, as well as, uh, it says one dog, I think there were actually two. Um, we gave out t-shirts, baseball hats, and AHS branded towels, as well as water. Um, the walks are going to be taking place twice a month, weather permitting, and so we plan on going through the fall. Um, our next one will be on the 16th of this month at the San Leandro Marina. We've also talked about doing walks in other areas. We've talked about going up into the hills um, and other possible locations. And so we want to make sure that we are in all of the communities that AHS serves and that this is a, it's egalitarian. This is open to any and everyone. We had friends of employees come and join us for the walks. So I'm very excited about that. Next slide, please. Um, this was on the 28th of August, and we went to Lake Merritt, and um, it was really gratifying. We had staff volunteer to help set up. Some engineers came out and put up our pop-up tent. We had over 30 employees show up for the walk around the lake, um, as well as uh, Trusty Fox. Alan Fox was present, and that was wonderful. I believe he walked from his home, which was impressive. Um, we worked in collaboration with the Downtown Senior Center, which is located in the Veterans Memorial Building right across the street from the lake there by the Chapel of Light. And um, so we were able to collaborate with a community partner to provide um, an event that a lot of staff were able to enjoy. Next slide, please. I wanna shift gears now and talk about under our service pillar, the um, Afghanistan relocation efforts. I, I won't read all of the bullets to you, but I just wanted to give this audience um, the assurance that we are actively working to facilitate the relocation of those who've been displaced by virtue of the tragic events taking place in Afghanistan. We are working collaboratively with the Alameda County Healthcare Services Agency, as well as um, partnering with uh, the California State Association of Counties, also known as CSAC, and the State Department of Social Services. So working with those agencies and most closely with HICSA here in Alameda County, we're looking to make sure that we have the right resources as well as uh, inclusive of translator services um, and the right connectivity to the various community resources that these individuals will need. We have, many of you know, I'm sure, that we have one of the largest distinct Afghani um, populations in the United States here in the Bay Area, primarily in South County, but across Alameda County. And so we understand the, the magnitude of the ask. And I believe that we, in partnership with uh, the partners noted here, will be up to the challenge. But we are actively working. And Trustee Blue spent some time with me in our refugee clinic at the Eastmont Wellness Center. And we spoke specifically about the efforts that are underway to make sure that these individuals receive the best services possible. Next slide, please. Um, moving now to our workforce pillar, and uh, please uh, move forward. Um, we've talked previously about the culture of safety survey. This is a survey that we do on a, I think it's a biannual basis here at the Alameda Health System. Um, we had about a 70% response rate the last time it was done. Um, and we were hoping for an 80% response rate. As you can see, we got about 72% at the end of the day which we were pleased with. Um, it wasn't the 80 we wanted, but there were a lot of challenges. There was a lot of distrust. There was a lot of uh, sense of, well, nothing will be done with the results. Staff also expressed trepidation about um, retaliation. If I tell my truth, there will be um, negative consequences for that. And so we did a lot of work to assure staff, one, retaliation will not be tolerated, and two, that their feedback 
will be honored and that we will work aggressively to try to work with them collaboratively to create solutions. And so this is a, a summary of the steps that we've identified. And there are five steps. And so we're working left to right. Um, and so initially, they were to do a debrief um, by the 30th of June. And you can see that um, we were very successful. That was 100% complete by the end of June. Um, and so the next step was to record the debriefing notes. Again, 100% compliance with that. Moving to step three, the review and reflect. Facilitator to review notes with the unit leader. 99.3, um, we were at 95% at Highland, but 100% across the balance of the organization. So step four, which was to be completed by the end of August, um, again, we achieved a 98% completion rate. And that was identifying one to two items uh, from the teamwork or the safety climate domains. Um, the intent was really to work collaboratively with the staff to come up with these action items, which will then be pursued at the unit level over the course of the next few months to really try to drive change in the organization in a meaningful way. So as you can see, working left to right, we've shared the information, we've done the debrief with the staff, and then developing the action plans, which at the end of the month, we were 98% complete. Um, you can see in the current state column, uh, Cape Creighton Wound Center, which is in Alameda, um, we had um, an opportunity there. We didn't quite get it done there. And then at Highland, case management, EVS, and engineering were the areas that we did not hit 100%. Um, and so our primary focus to implement and monitor the action plans. Step five, which will be taking place over September through December of this year, is to implement the actions and then to monitor the effectiveness. So again, working collaboratively with the staff to make sure that we've created plans that they feel have gravitas, will actually achieve the desired results. And um, all of this is to be completed by the end of the calendar year. So... Um, I will I will stop there and um, our next slide, please. Yes. So I'm to the Q&A portion. So uh, trustees, I'm happy to answer any questions, elaborate on anything that you'd like. Ooh. Trustee Jensen, I believe you're muted. Thank you. Um, thank you, James, and um, for the excellent report. I, I'll start. Um, I wanted to, I had two questions. Is the culture of safety um, survey is that a requirement for licensure or, or for um, by one of our oversight entities? It is not. Um, it is not required. It's something that um, we work with Beta Health. They're our carrier, our insurance carrier, and it's something that is considered a best practice in the industry. And so it's something that the organization has done for a number of years um, with varying levels of success. And so we felt that it was really important for us to have this kind of a pulse check, um, given. Just in general, it's a good idea, but certainly coming out of COVID, we felt that it was important to make sure that we understood how our staff felt. Were they ready for work and were they ready for change? Because we're an organization that's in need of significant change and there has to be capacity for change. And so we felt it was really incumbent upon us to make sure that we have given our staff the tools to be ready for change. So, and that's my other question regarding this issue. So the culture of safety allows for individual employees to bring up a topic or an issue and um, and receive feedback and and be able to identify that that issue has been addressed. It, it does, trustee, but I would just, uh, the caveat I would offer is that 
it, it is not about individual employees. In fact, we go to great length to try to protect their anonymity simply because of the concern about retaliation. Obviously, if somebody wants to come forward and make a direct statement, we welcome that. But we wanted to protect their privacy. We wanted them to feel that there was safety and that they would not be targeted, singled out. Um, there were allegations that managers were trying to figure out who the individuals were. We never were able to actually drill down and prove that because certainly that is antithetical to what we were trying to achieve. We want staff to feel safe and protected, speaking their truth, um, understanding that it's going to be a bitter pill sometimes to swallow what they're saying, but that's the only way to make progress is to um, recognize opportunities for improvement and then to do the honest work about trying to be better. Absolutely. Thank you very much. That's, that's, um, I'd like to see these details, you know, regularly too. My other question is about the um, Afghan refugee um, support that we're providing. And I just wanted to ask if um, it's my understanding that, Many, um, if not the majority of the Afghan refugees that are coming to Alameda County, which, as you say, has a very large um, population of, um, of Afghani, both refugees and, and American citizen Af- of Afghan descent. But I, it's my understanding that um, this is co- concentrated more in South County. So I'm wondering if we will continue to have the clinic at Eastmont or if there's other services available at Hayward in, in South County. So the clinic uh, will remain at um, Eastmont. That's where it's based. But certainly making sure that there are adequate services um, in the South County is is an imperative. Um, the staff at the Newark Wellness Center are very well integrated into that community um, and the Afghani community specifically. And so um, I do not believe we have represented on the line, but I'm, I'm very confident that they will continue um, and expand on their work, making sure that that community um, knows the resources that are available to them and how to avail themselves of the of the resources. Excellent. Thank you. Um, trustees, please um, a- ask questions of, of the CEO at this point regarding the report. Uh, I'm not seeing... Any hands here? So, Dr. Afzali's hand is up, if you don't mind. Uh, oh, okay. I'm sorry. Dr. Afzali, please. Um, hi, thank you. I just wanted to commend AHS for this work with the refugees. Being Afghan myself and having spent a significant amount of time in Afghanistan uh, almost every year for the past decade, except the last two, um, I am proud to be working for an organization that's taken this home, uh, especially here in the, in the Bay Area, uh, and I'm happy to support any efforts in any way I can. The past month has been um, unreal, to say the least. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Dr. Afzali. That, um, thank you for, for your dedicated service and for, um, you know, it must be challenging for you to be watching all the events in Afghanistan. And as you bring that up, um, it just occurred to me, I, I'm just taking advantage of being the chair for a while. So um, it just occurs to me that, you know, I, I often attend the um, grand rounds just because it, I find it interesting. But I wonder, um, hopefully maybe there could be a grand rounds or you could do a um, presentation even to QPSC, um, Dr. Afzali, to, uh, you know, just learning the different um, healthcare needs and healthcare, how healthcare is addressed in um, different countries as we welcome refugees from, especially from Afghanistan, but from, from places, you know, it would be of interest. And I think 
to share that information and make sure that we're, we're providing services in, in the most um, culturally acceptable, approachable, and um, effective way that we can. Agreed. Trustee Jensen, if I might, um, one other comment. Please, thank you. Uh, I, I was on a personal level, um, I had two employees of the organization approach me about their concerns. They are of Afghani descent. Um, and it was, it was heartrending to hear them talking about the duality of their day-to-day -day existence here at AHS while watching the, the crisis unfold in their homes. And so certainly um, professionally, it's the right thing to do. And on a personal level, I was just so moved by these individuals and their commitment to AHS. And so certainly um, Dr. Afzali, your, your comments resonate, and I will just tell you, you're not alone. And um, we will, as an organization, do everything in our power to support those individuals displaced and who are coming to this community. Trustee Jensen, if I might, um, one other liberty I would ask, if I may share screen for just a moment. Absolutely. Um, trustees, I'm sharing with you now a flyer about the Schwartz uh, Center and Schwartz Rounds, which are gonna be taking place tomorrow. Um, it's going to happen during the noon hour from 12 to 1. Um, you can see the Schwartz Center rounds are a multidisciplinary forum where healthcare workers discuss social and emotional issues that arise in patient care. This month, we're exploring how we've managed to stay sane in troubled times and what happens when we feel helpless. Two of our ED physicians, Dr. Charlotte Willis and Dr. Evan Rusojo, will be leading this discussion. I, I must uh, share with the trustees that I, when I experienced Schwartz rounds in my previous life with AHS, and it was one of the most powerful and moving events that I've had the pleasure of experiencing as a, a healthcare administrator. And so um, I would welcome trustee participation, and we will be doing more of these sports rounds, but I just think um, as we look to provide ways to support our staff, this is another of the tools in our toolkit to that end. Thank you, James. I'll definitely participate tomorrow, and I often um, find a lot of interesting information that's useful as a board member when I when I attend um, the grand rounds as well. And Dr. Wills, um, who I've known for many years, is really a leader both in um, medically, but also with uh, her leadership with the residents and, and our teaching program. She's she's just a, a wonderful provider. So, um, if there are any other, oh, I see Mark Friedman. Yeah, thank you. Friedman. Yeah. Uh, Rana, can you uh, email us the link for the Schwartz round so we can participate? I will. I just asked James to send it to me. I'll forward it out to the full board. Happy Thank you. So. Thank you. Um, I'm not seeing any other. Oh, oh can Kenny, Trustee Banerjee. Uh, Trustee Blue has had her hand up before that. Uh, so go ahead. Um, go ahead, Ken Kenny. I'll speak after you. Thank you. Um, Dr. Afzali, I did not know um, that you were um, have, you know, from Afghanistan and just, you know, our love care to you, to your family and to all of our um, AHS family that's, uh, that is suffering this and, you know, feeling the survivor's guilt that we feel when we are in a safe space, I know that we are working in my work, working very much with children and with families resettlement as they're coming in. So I wonder if besides like the organizational kind of work that we are doing for civic participation, where folks want to show some solidarity and want to have some options of how 
individually people can help as well if there could be like if you if we have a list of resources um and if not then i can uh, share that with james and we if that could be something that is shared with the staff that would also be there are many many ways we could all be helping Thank Absolutely. you for those comments. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, things have, have been unfolding so quickly, it's hard to wrap our heads around it. Um, majority of efforts are currently regarding uh, extraction of people that are still there. Uh, I have a couple of friends from the East Coast uh, orthopedic surgeons that are actually still in Kabul that have not been able to get out yet, but there's efforts to get them out. Uh, and if there's any resources, I'd be happy to pass those along as well. Thank you for your comments. Trustee Blue? Yes, yeah, so I just wanted to uh, reiterate how important staffing is, especially as a, uh, a refugee community comes in. They're going to need a lot of psychiatric help. And I don't know if we have the resources to provide that kind of trauma help, so to speak, right? Because what these families are going through is... It's just outrageous. And I can only imagine how folks feel um, as they're receiving family members from Afghanistan and not having the tools to deal with their psychological impact of what happened in that country and continues to happen in that country. Uh, thank you, Trustee Blue. Trustee Jensen, if, if I may, um, usually you don't, you don't want to hear the attorney speak, but... Uh, I'd like to just a few words about the Afghan refugee situation and Afghanistan generally. Like Dr. Abzali, I'm also of Afghan descent, um, and I have uh, a lot, a lot of uh, family back home. And I'd just like to thank James for his leadership on this. I mean, I talked to him. I was one of those folks that talked to him, and and you know, I'm I'm really proud of the work we're doing. Uh, and you know, this is a sort of time when when you know when you feel good for working here at AHS. So thank you all. And and just bringing attention to this issue, it's such a huge issue and there's a lot of women there. They're, they're probably going to be the worst off and out of anyone. I mean, in terms of all the rights that are being stripped of, of the women there. So uh, thank you for bringing, uh, you know, putting a spotlight on this issue. Thank you, Dr. Absali for, for your comments and for for letting us share this issue and discuss it briefly, as briefly as we could. And um, if there's no other comments, I don't see any hands now. Um, I would just, I'll go to medical staff reports and I'll ask Dr. Abzali to begin because, um, and, and in your comments, what I what I would wonder, and I'm not, I'm asking you this as part of your, um, the, the San Leandro Leadership Committee, as well as your work as a physician in AHS, um, after your comments about the San Leandro Hospital and what's going on there, if you could just provide your input and thoughts about how we are doing in terms of addressing the, the needs of the Afghan community, the, the existing Afghan community here in, in Alameda County, as far as you know, and the Afghan community that um, is arriving. Thank you. Thank you, Trustee Jensen. Um, we'll start with the San Leandro Leadership committee uh we met yesterday um uh there's uh, three important items that i'd like to bring to your attention 
the first item is uh, uh, good news. Uh, we have uh, two new uh, committee members that have been uh, nominated and will be going via the MEC this month. First, Dr. Raikanti, she's one of our hospitalists, has been with the system for 12 years uh, at San Leandro, which is her primary site. Uh, she'd been a member of the previous MEC at San Leandro uh, and then uh, had uh, taken some time off for uh, family reasons and is joining us back as one of the uh, uh, members uh, on the San Leandro committee at large members. Uh, the second is Dr. Abid Morganum. He's uh, actually a vascular surgeon, a community doctor uh, who I think will fulfill a critical uh, need uh, and help bridge the gap with our community physicians. Uh, and he will be assisting me as a co-chair of the of the committee. Um, the uh, second item on there uh, that I have is a concern regarding behavioral health patients. That's been a topic uh, a number of times today. Uh, for San Leandro in particular, it has to do with uh, pediatric behavioral health patients. Um, uh, since 2019 uh, and uh, in 2020 and this year, there's been a significant increase in the number of uh, 5150 pediatric patients that have been transported to uh, San Leandro, and the numbers are overwhelmingly uh, high, at, and the impact is much higher at San Leandro than it is at Highland. Uh, comparatively speaking, at Highland uh, in 2020 and uh, 2021, collectively, there were about 65 patients whereas at San Leandro, there were uh, close, to, close to 90 patients. Um, considering the space, there, that's a significant difference in terms of impact. Uh, lately, in the past two weeks, there's been significant delays in getting those patients to the right place for uh, care. Uh, our previous longest stay was 190 hours. Uh, we have uh, surpassed that in the past week. Uh, main issue is uh, Willow Rock being on, on diversion. Uh, and not being able to take in any patients uh, and uh, most of the other sites not having bed availability. Uh, there is uh, work in progress. Dr. Siddhartha, who, whose help I've, uh, uh, I acknowledge and appreciate in this regard, uh, has uh, an SBAR uh, in play, uh, as well as meeting with, with the county uh, to try to uh, mitigate the problem and find, find solutions. Um, the uh, last item I have uh, to discuss with you is an RCA that I'm sure you've heard of from San Leandro regarding transport of a STEMI patient included in Route 2 Highlands Cat Lab uh, and unfortunately did not make it. Uh, there was uh, a number of findings from there that I'm hoping uh, to bring focus to and that I hope we can uh, uh, bring change to the setup at San Leandro. Uh, firstly, uh, there was a, a delay to getting an EKG, which is a chronic issue across across the system and uh, I think will be an ongoing challenge. Uh, but for San Leander in particular, I think there's some uh, physical layout changes that will help uh, reduce that time and also uh, offer answers to the uh, <clears throat> uh, question that's come up previously regarding patient registration and arrival. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, so my hope is to move registration out into the triage, have uh, triage nurse registration and attack uh, be arriving patients uh, as they come into the department, sort of a similar setup to what other uh, big systems are doing. Uh, and that will hopefully uh, get the ball rolling on some of our more critical patients faster. 
um, working with uh, risk management as well as uh, registration to hopefully get approvals to get that moving. There won't be any actual construction needing happen, but I will need plexiglass for privacy reasons. Um, the uh, second item out of the RCA was delay in transport for uh, EMS. Uh, and uh, we have folks from Highland who have relationships with folk that uh, are helping to address that. So I wanted to give you reassurance that there's uh, work in place to improve that process and uh, hope that this doesn't happen again. Um, regarding uh, the Afghan uh, refugees, uh, I'll be honest, I was uh, surprised to hear on Monday that AHS had any programs to help the Afghan. It just seems like such a distant and far away uh, situation. Uh, my wife is a hospitalist at Alameda. Both of us uh, have been uh, involved in Afghanistan. We actually, uh, you know, we started out doing clinics and, and uh, sort of uh, teaching uh uh, basic life support courses in Afghanistan when we first went out there back in 2010 uh, while we were still residents. Um, and that uh, relationship uh, evolved to uh, a much deeper and connected relationship to, with the Department of Health there uh, to the point of where we had guests that flew out here and met with UCSF and we eventually started a uh, a, a program at one of the major hospitals in Kabul to start uh, diagnosing and treating cancer, which is a huge, a huge deal, uh, because there's literally no facilities to do that in Afghanistan. Um, and uh, you know, all of that has obviously uh, either come to a halt or has backtracked. Um, uh, I honestly have uh, no capacity or words to describe how disappointing the past month has been. Um, you know, my, my wife and family have been in contact with uh, uh, agencies such as the IRC um, to help uh, folks get out. I have not been as involved, admittedly, um, but hearing that AHS has a program was a surprise. Uh, I think this is a lot more than I, I had expected. So it's it's great for me to hear. Um, so I, I can't really comment as to whether we're doing enough. I think that it's amazing that we're doing something. Um, I don't know the exact scope of it. Uh, I want to get involved and, and hear more about it. Um, but I'm, I'm touched by the, uh, the fact that we were even discussing this. This was unexpected. Thank you, Dr. Abzali. Um, thank you so much for everything. And I, um, to your last comment, thank you for for sharing about, I see that, that um, Dr. Paquette is here, but I'll just continue for a moment. Thank you for sharing um, the, your your interest in um, in the clinic. And I, I, I think that the board, this is probably something that's, that's expanded pretty rapidly, I would imagine. And I think um, maybe James, a, a good idea would be to send out some information to all staff about the clinic about the resources available to um to afghan refugees and afghan citizens and as well and maybe that could be a place for dr Afzali and his wife and others to share information or, or, or find out information about um friends and relatives in afghanistan so um that's just my thoughts i have a question actually um for dr Afzali about the the 5150 pediatric um 
repeats that you're seeing there? First of all, I'm wondering if a lot of them are coming from, if they're going to San Leandro because they're coming from South County. And then um, my other question to follow up was whether the, as you said, there's more than 190 hours um, some patients are spending at San Leandro. Is that, are they in the ED or are they on, where, where do they go for those they, hours? They can only be in the ED. We can't admit them. Okay. Um, so they, they basically board in the ED. Uh, and, you know, uh, imagine being a pediatric patient who has uh, mental health or behavioral health issues. Uh, and these are patients that we can't clear off the 5150. Uh, Dr. Siddhartha and his team have, has been uh, supportive uh, in this regard. And we get consults from our telepsych uh, consultants uh, as early as we can, as soon as we know that the patient will not be going as soon as they're medically cleared. Uh, we get those consults. Uh, and so uh, once a patient can be cleared, we clear them. If they cannot be cleared, then they're there for days. Uh, and it just exacerbates the problem because they're not getting the help that they need and we can't get them to where they need to get the help that they need. Um, and so it, it's a it's a big problem that uh, there's no quick fix for. Uh, a lot of it is rooted in, in staffing and resource availability. Uh, but these patients stay in the emergency department. That's where they board for three, four, sometimes longer days. In your experience, do you think that 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 it's the 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 um, patient load is higher at San Leandro because they're get, you're getting patients from South County versus, as you mentioned, Highland has a lower caseload of, of pediatric fifty on fifties. Yeah, relatively speaking, for the size we do, for some reason, we get a, a higher volume of uh, 5150 patients. I'm not sure exactly what that is. It may be our location uh, to Willow Rock and, and, and John George, uh, but we don't, you know, Highland still sees a higher uh, adult 5150 population, but the pediatric somehow ends up at San Leandro. I'm not sure the exact reason for it. Thank you. Um, I see that that Trustee Dong has a question, or she has her hand up. Thank you. Um, Dr. Absali, are these uh, pediatric 5150s, are they self-admitting, or are they being admitted by family, by school, by law enforcement? How are they coming to you in the evening? Uh, I'd say the majority of them come in on a 5150 hold by uh, law enforcement. Uh, we have not had any, uh, especially not ones that have been delayed in transfers uh, that were brought in by family that we placed on, on a 5150. Uh, the overwhelming majority are placed on a 5150 on the field who come into the hospital uh, for medical clearance. I will mention that uh, two weeks ago where we had the longest delays, uh, most of those patients arrived not for medical clearance, but because uh, Willow Rock was on diversion. Willow Rock could not accept the patients, and so they had to go to the nearest ED. That's why they ended up at San Leandro. I see. A uh, question. I can't remember, and, you know, I, I've had a lot of involvement with CAT, the CAT team, the community assessment team. Do they only take adults and not minors? Uh, they do uh, only take adults. I don't know of a pediatric team for the cat. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you, um, Dr. Sully. And I'll note that Trustee Dong has um, joined the meeting, and as well as um, our chair, Trustee Dr. Bouquet. And so, Chair Bouquet, would you like to take control? Madam Vice President, I think I'd let you uh, close this agenda item out. I think you've done pretty good. So 
like Jeopardy, let's close this item out with you. <laughs> okay, great. Then um, I will ask Dr. Pian to um, share information um, regarding the what's going on at Alameda Hospital, her medical staff report from Alameda Hospital. Good evening, Dr. Pian. Hi, thank you very much. Uh, basically, uh, to go right to uh, ranking key concerns right now, uh, you know, still the MRIs are a bit slow where, as far as getting MRIs as inpatients. The MRI uh, unit we have is shared with San Leandro as well as uh, outpatients. So we, I think there's like two and a half slots or so a day for our inpatients. So it's still slow. Sometimes patients are waiting a bit long for an MRI and it can increase our length of stay. And I think it does affect patient satisfaction. Uh, so we're, we're, we've ha I've spoken uh, to some of the admin about it, and there is supposed to be some sort of uh, pilot coming out soon, but I haven't really heard any details yet. So I'm waiting for that, um, but it's still an issue. Um, as far as the e-consults, I've been talking about that over the last few months, about the fact that, you know, our hospitalists, our ER doctors are not allowed to uh, place uh, referrals to, uh, to, to subspecialists at Highland. And uh, even if they're followed at Highland, or even if we spoke to someone at Highland, so that's that's that, that's going to apparently be somewhat changed. It might, there is supposed to be a pilot also for that. They're going to open it up at least for Hemonk and possibly ID, I believe, or uh, you know something that um, that'll open to at least a few um, subspecialties. And in, in unusual situations where we actually page and we're able to contact someone at Highland. We, we may be able to place a, uh, a follow-up. Uh, let's say, for example, I talked to an OBGYN uh, at Highland, and they said, sure, go ahead and put a consult in. I mean, put a, uh, an e-consult or a request for an outpatient follow-up. There's going to be an opportunity to do that with the, with the blessing of that doctor, and, and then we could put their name in. So there's talk. Uh, we're going to, this is a much improvement over what we have now, which is zero. So I think that it hasn't happened yet. This has to be built out of Epic. Uh, the Epic system has to build this out, and it's going to take a little bit of time, my understanding is. But I'm glad that we were able to come to some understanding, and there's some movement on this issue. And um, it's affecting Alameda, and I, I know it's affecting Stanley Andro. Um, John George, all the, all, the, all the sites, really, anywhere that doesn't have um, primary care doctors. Um, so, uh, uh, and uh, as far as coordination of care and patient transfers, this is always something we want to highlight because it's, uh, you know, we do have a transfer center. There's, you know, there's a lot of good things that have uh, developed over the last few years. But again, it's, it's there hasn't been anything uh uh, significant last few weeks or last month, but uh, we finally, uh, in the last month, we were able to uh, start having an administrator on call, and they're, they're listed on uh, the call schedule that is available to all, uh, to everyone to see. So in, in, in rare situations that in, in, when we have an inpatient that needs to go to, let's say, to high level, high level, higher level of care, we sometimes we need an administrator to grease the wheels and, and push things along because if there's no bed there, there needs to be moving around of beds or whatnot, there needs to be some administrative support in that department. And so it's good to know that there is someone uh, that is available on call. And, um, and um, that, so we're, we're glad about that. So far, I haven't really tested it, but, uh, you know, I've let my staff know that um, it's available. Uh, and, um, you know, we're appreciative that uh, there's going to be a way to, to be able to uh, 
you know, move our patients, or at least someone from higher above that can that can help us, uh, you know, move, possibly move patients. I, I know this is always going to be difficult because Highlands seems to be always impacted. They're always super busy, they're, you know, especially with the surge, they're very busy. And so this is always going, you know, going to be a, a very difficult issue, but we really want to, you know, prevent situations where, um, you know, a critically ill patient that could survive or do or, or do better uh, at a higher level of care, uh, you know, allow them to access that that level level of care uh, and uh, not be stuck uh, taking care of a patient that we, we cannot care for at, at our um, at our hospital so uh, that's basically all I wanted to say regarding um, any issues uh, the most important you know issues those are all in no, no particular order per se they're all important um, and, uh, is there any questions regarding uh, these issues um dr. Pune I just wanted to follow up on on the last thing you mentioned regarding transfers and um has it got has it improved i know um mark fratsky and um others the transfer team were working with alameda hospital specifically to to ensure that there was someone available a, a um a primary care physician stand-in or a manager or someone available to make sure that orders were signed and patients could be transferred is that getting any better we have it again. Like it, this happens literally not every day. It's like it's kind of a rare. It, it's, it's it's an event that comes every few weeks or once a month or whatnot. And when it happens, it's usually a very dire situation. Like we're we desperately need a neurosurgeon. We desperately need this or that or a critical care bed or or a procedure. And um, you know, now that we have, I know that there's an administrator on call. If we if we get pushed, sometimes we'll get pushback. You know, from nursing supervisor or someone at the other campus saying we don't have beds we can't help you sorry and the, the phone's hung up we don't you know we now have a higher level someone to push up to and that can that can um especially when you have two physicians on two sides of two campuses who are agreeing the patient needs a higher level of care you, you need to make it happen so we need uh we're you know so far it hasn't been tested since the new i don't believe it's been tested from my side for instance the administrator has been on call but i'm sure it will be tested at some point and uh, we're, we're going to see how that how it, how it works out, how it rolls. But uh, I'm sure it's going to be very hard for the administrator sometimes because you know, like I said, we all know how Highland is very always impacted, especially during the surge. And it's not like they always have open beds for San Leandro or Alameda, you know, the critical care unit. You know, things have to be sometimes moved around. It's it's really it's it's a, it's going to be it's it's I don't really know have an easy solution for it. It's just. I'm just going to have to put it in the administrator's hands and hope that they can they can, you know, work their magic. You're on mute, Trustee Jensen. Okay. Trustee Jensen. Yeah, thanks, to, thanks to you, um, Dr. P. And that that issue was at least addressed. Uh, you know, the first step was taken, and hopefully, when you have to make that call or another physician, hospitalist, or ED doc has to make the call, there will be. It will be smoother than it has been in the past. Um, are, are there any other questions for Dr. Pan um, from board members? Or I'll, I'll make a quick comment. I know from personal experience this past Saturday morning, it worked because I was on call. And one came from Alameda, and I did that procedure, that emergent procedure here on Saturday. So there's an N of one, if, it, if, if, it's an, if that's anything. Excellent. Thank you. Um, and then we have Dr. Bash. Is up next, our Highland Hospital. Yeah, thank you. Um, 
so we presented our QPSC report on on August 25th, and then I just wanted to take a moment to to also acknowledge all the, our Afghani um, uh, uh, family here at, at AHS, and thank you for sharing all of that and very moving in, a, in a really tough times. And please let the AHS medical staff know if there's if we can rally any docs or anything like that. Um, to help out, um, I, I'll, I'll be happy to send that out um, uh, to, to the medical staff. Um, and I think my items to discuss um, were around COVID-19. Our cases have been somewhat flat, kind of similar to the county. I think we were at 17 yesterday um, in the system. Um, I think now we're starting to see actually um, long COVID and the side effects of having COVID last year. Um, and, you know, I think we're seeing more of these complicated patients coming in. Um, so that's also going to put a strain on our system, I think, moving forward as well. But yeah, there, there, there's, there's been patients that, you know, were in the hospital for three weeks and they go home for two weeks and they come back um, and they're still sick. Um, so, so we're still seeing that. Um, also on the COVID front, we're working very closely I, well, I've been working very closely with Felicia Tornabene um, uh, about and and the medical staff uh, office Satira on getting all the vaccine data for our medical staff, and we're working with Alameda Hospital medical staff on creating a policy and procedure aligning with the state order for our medical staff um, that will be presented um, at MEC um, uh, for for review and approval. Um, for governance, um, I had my first uh, meeting um, with Mr. Jackson um, as the interim chief of staff, and uh, it was it was action jam packed and uh, and quick. But we got a lot of talk talking points done, which was wonderful. Um, I think I think the highlight some of the highlights of that meeting that I want to talk about governance is um, Dr. David Duong at the MEC meeting had mentioned um, that he wanted to help out. Um, with um, going to the county for COVID relief funds. And, um, and I know Mr. Jackson, the PACE team, and Dr. Duong have been in touch. We also opened it up to other MEC members um, to help out. And, um, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to partnering more around that. I see your hands up. I'll, I'll stop there because I have a lot to say on other stuff too. So, <laughs> Well, if I may, um, I think Dr. Duong will probably never volunteer for something like that again, but um, he, he's been fantastic. We met today, actually, with um, the Supervisor Huppert um, from the Dublin area, and uh, Dr. Duong was excellent. It really changes the dynamic when we're able to provide a, a caregiver to give firsthand testimonials. And so I'm so grateful to you, Dr. Bosch, for making the connection and for Dr. Duong stepping forward. And I think it just makes a, a better presentation as we're going to our electives. Yeah, I, I think I think it's it's really exciting to have this type of teamwork um, uh, right now. And and some of the other things we talked about were community outreach, um, reaching out to um, people have thrown out ideas of high schools, doing things for wellness in the community. Um, I think I think that that the things Mr. Jackson has done is have started to motivate um, some of the medical staff to throw out their own ideas. So that that's very exciting as well. Um, and we also in, in talked about engaging the community physicians at the hospital. And I actually had a meeting earlier today with Dr. Tornabene talking a little bit about that as well. So more to come on, on some of the ideas that have been floated around around that. Um, for leadership in, um, in patient safety and, and, and just, just quality in our hospital, 
I think that we, something we also I've also been discussing with our executive team is around pr- uh, physician professionalism and working um, with AHS, working um, with AHS and the medical staff to create standard work, to create um, things that flow, information that flows. Um, uh, through the organization in the appropriate manner and in a timely manner. And so we have some ideas floating on that, and I hope to report back in a few months about about some of the things around professionalism. Um, I'll I'll say a little bit more about that a little bit later. And I think that, you know, I I hear things of, oh, like a lot of problems, and and maybe some of this is me. I was just on service for 12 days on, on wards, and and then, and being chief of staff was a new experience for me at that time, and so, uh, so it was slightly overwhelming on the amount of phone calls, texts, and emails. But um, I think that some of the discussions we need to be having, and some of the training that we need as a medical staff, is around professionalism and communication, and and building the teamwork to provide that patient care um, at the bedside. And I think it's really going to come from uh, all of the physicians the nurses, the care managers, the PT, the RT at the bedside. And I think that's where this culture shift needs to change. And I think that we need to start really focusing on where these groups need that help and who's ready for it, who's ready to make that change. And uh, and I think, I think there's a lot of opportunity there um, that I've had multiple conversations on and also hope to bring more back to this board at some time in the future. Um, and then the last thing about safety is there has been also some looking into of, of burnout and physician wellness and where we can go for resources around that. Um, and so I had a wonderful discussion with Mr. Jackson about that. I've talked with actually Trustee Bouquet and Dr. Tornabene. And so, so a lot of action happening around that and also hope, hope to have a little bit more to present um, on where some of those emails and phone calls that will lead in the coming uh, weeks. Um, my last just to read the report, CME bylaws, bylaws, my labor of love for this year. Um, so it was approved by the MEC. It's going out to the medical medical staff in the coming days ish week. And the hope is to be, come bring it back to the board of trustees for approval at the November meeting. Um, uh, and then the last thing on there you'll see is a structure of reporting to the, to the board. And I brought this up at QPSC. Um, and we talked about, um, I talked about bringing some of the chairs and utilizing our time differently so that you get get to hear about certain departments at San Leandro or at John George or or the emergency departments uh, at different sites. And so I think that um, I'm, I'm meeting later this week um, with the other uh, chief of staff and with Dr. Avzali to discuss this in a little bit more detail. But I really want to focus on presentations that deal with quality and patient safety, operations, what are the strengths and then what are the needs um, in these departments when they present? So kind of a, a rough framework that we're going to try to work out on that. And and I open um, trustees, Bouquet kind of, Dr. Bouquet, of, uh, Trustee Bouquet gave me, gave me the permission at QPSC to kind of figure this out with the group. But any information or guidance um, would be welcome either now or offline. You can email me or text me. Um, I'm sure you can find my cell from someone. <laughs> So I know with that, I'll conclude my report. Well, thank you. I mean, you're doing a great job as the interim interim chief medical officer. And um, your report's much appreciated. I do want to um, point out, I, I appreciated your remarks about supporting physicians to, um, to develop and expand bedside and communication skills. And um, I was 
as I mentioned earlier, I um, sometimes attend the grand rounds, especially now that they're by Zoom. And it would um, the soon-to-be chief resident Vincent Lee presented at grand rounds last week, and it was a great a great presentation, a great information, and really a lot of key. Uh, what I found, I mean, I'm not a clinician or a physician, but um, what I thought would be very helpful techniques to support um, advanced care planning for patients. So that was great, and you can share that with him if you do see him. I, I, I found it to be great. I will absolutely share that with him. <laughs> Thank you. Other trustees, any um, questions or comments? If not, then I see that um, Dr. Chair has arrived. <laughs> um. Thank you, Madam Vice President. My apologies. Uh, I had clinical care issues that I was uh, doing for some patients. So uh, with that, we'll close out item C and we'll go into item D uh, on uh, committee reports. We have a full slate of committee reports. We'll keep it relatively brief, if okay. Each of the representatives can uh, kind of give the, 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 the take-home points of that. We'll, we'll start out with item David 1, Audit and Compliance Committee from June 16, 2021. Trustee Splendorio, good evening, sir. Good evening, everybody. Uh, we did not have a quorum. You can read the minutes. That's con that concludes my report. We didn't take any action on anything. Uh, no, I, our next one. That, that, so hopefully, uh, yes, we can have a quorum for for that one. And uh, uh, the minutes are included uh, in in uh, in uh, the committee packet. That'll move us to item David two a D two Human Resources Committee from July twenty one. Uh, 2021 uh, Trustee Blue is the committee chair. Good evening, Trustee Blue. Hi, good evening. So I'm on the hunt for more committee members. It's just right now it's just me and Jennifer. Um, and so we'd love to have another person. But let me give you the report. Um, yes, uh, on the report, we are doing a HR dashboard and they're in the minutes but I encourage everybody to take a look at that because we had set goals in terms of what mark we're trying to hit for instance on the time to fill in positions right um, our goal is to do it within 51 days but we're actually uh, doing pretty good um, on that so that's uh, that's all in there you'll also find data on the turnover rate also the we have a diversity dashboard now that's up and running and so uh lorna and i would really appreciate any kind of feedback that the trustees have um, as they read the report and also to the public uh, i do want to point out that we um, have started affinity groups haven't had a lot of meetings yet, but Lorna had been thinking about forming these affinity groups, especially as these racial tensions continue uh, within the community based on a whole lot of factors. But uh, we do have affinity groups up and running, um, and they're going to begin to take steps or begin to talk about how do we become an anti-racist organization. So I wanted to point that out. Um, and then the other thing is to reinstitute the labor management committees. I'm not quite sure what happened to them, but apparently they're not uh, functioning or not meeting. But that's a way to also drill down on how staff is viewing issues at their 
particular work location or their department where they can meet face-to-face with management to figure out how it gets resolved, right? So I'd encourage, you know, that we get that going. So that's about all I have. People can read everything else in our minutes. Trustee, thank you, uh, Trustee Blue. Any questions of Trustee Blue on the HR committee report? Barring none, we'll close out item D2. Item D3 is the QPSC committees. We had two of them. We had one in July and we had one in August because the QPSC does not go dark in August. So in the face of all the other committees. Um, uh, in the July meeting, we uh, talked over, uh, we did our standard work, which was credentialing policies and procedures. Our articles of discussion were one, how to measure the value of virtual care. I think there's probably, uh, people can feel that, that, that uh, COVID has been an accelerator or a catalyst for the new execution of care. Virtual care uh, is that, and trying to determine what the true value. I think that's a solid article that we read. We also talked about uh, vaccination articles because in July uh, there was discussion about mandatory vaccinations of employees. So very dated uh, articles at this point, but at the time they were very timely. The, the uh, marquee presentations that we're finding from QPSC now are really the quality improvement um, uh, work that is being done in the organization. In the July meeting, we actually had a very nice presentation about the transfer center. And, and uh, I know this is an issue of continued discussion here. And I think the scale of the view is really, really important. The evolution from where we are now versus where we are even a year ago in my personal opinion is impressive, but certainly there's still more work to give. Um, so uh, that report was nicely given by Ryan DeGive, who's the director of uh, the System Transfer Center and Dr. Bernice Perez, who's sort of a, one of the physician champions, an ED doctor for transfers. That was our July meeting. In our August meeting, uh, uh, we did the same work. We did uh, policies and procedures, credentialing, and the two articles we discussed the first article is called Experience of Health System Faculty, Staff, and Trainees Career Development, Work Culture, and Child Care Needs During the COVID-19 Pandemic. This article came out of the University of Utah. They had about 5,000 respondents of their nearly 28,000 employees. And it's sort of a no-duh kind of uh, article, but I'm going to review with you some of the findings of that article. Um, about 50% of the, those who responded to the survey found that they were having troubles with parenting uh, and managing virtual education for their children, about 50% of the respondents. About a fifth, 20% uh, considered actually leaving the workforce. 30% were considering reducing their hours, and 50 to 60% were worried that this COVID-19 was impacting their career development. The concluding statement I think was a significant one and it, it was as follows. Health systems must develop effective strategies to ensure that the workplace acknowledges and supports employees during this unprecedented time, not only within the work environment, but also in managing unanticipated childcare responsibilities to lack of childcare or in-person school. In doing so, health systems will improve the likelihood of retaining generations of well-trained clinicians scientists and staff. Um, I think a solid article. I'll defer to our HR chair, uh, Trustee Blue, and we have a very uh, capable and competent CHRO in Ms. Jones 
to kind of navigate those issues. The second article was entitled Healthcare Management During COVID-19, Insights from Complexity Science. Basically, it asserted three things. Communication, collaboration, and innovation are the, are the key elements of navigating extraordinarily complex problems. And I, I think this organization has been stri striving to have uh, aptitude in those three domains, communication, collaboration, and innovation. Um, uh, these are very complex times, complex problems that we haven't really confronted. And it, the speed at which we adapt to them is a function of those. That's a, again, another article available to you in your packet. Our uh, uh, quality improvement uh, discussion actually was around improving anesthesia controlled substances, uh, controlled substances discrepancies. This came from our chair of uh, anesthesiology, Dr. Jordan Newmark, and Dr. Priya and Ms. Pr uh, Dr. Priya Patel, uh, who is our medic medication safety officer and clinical pharmacy manager. A really, really impressive study which showed that there was some uh, issues of anesthesia controlled substances being misplaced or not followed. And I, I can't remember the exact number. I think it's around 20% by the end of their, their, um, their intervention, they've gotten down to 0%. And it shows, I think, in my impression, I'll let Dr. Tornabene comment if she would like, about, about identifying problems and finding a methodology to address them. And as, as, as uh, they say, if you're not measuring it, you're not managing it. So I think this was a, this was a great study and hopefully the response is durable. Um, with that, I will close out the QPSC report and open up for any questions about any of that. All right, we have radio silence. With that, we'll go to item D4. Uh, that's the Finance Committee um, from September 1, 2021. Madam Chair Esteem. Thank you, Dr. Chair. So we are the only committee that has already met this month, aside from the full board meeting today. And we reviewed the budget month of July 2021, so the very first month in this fiscal year. Um, our CFO report uh, included a highlight that roof repairs have been underway in our SNFs, which caused some patient rooms to close. It impacted capacity, but it's a really good sign of capital expenditure spending, which has been a topic of a lot of discussion uh, amongst the board. Um, there were some overages this month related to staffing because of the COVID surge. Overtime and registry were um, highly used, and usually those are under budgeted. So we were over because usually we expect that we will hire people permanently. And we heard the HR report, uh, we're working on that. So there was an unexpected influx positively of money from the GPP and EPP um, governmental funds from fiscal year 2019 and 2020. Um, so a late surge in money coming in, which is great, which pushed our NNB to about $20 million, which is the lowest I've seen it since I've been serving on this board, and that's about a year, um, which is really, really good. Um, we know that the NNB sometimes is over $100 million, so looking good there. Uh, patient collections are also higher in fiscal year 2021 than the previous two years, uh, even though Epic, not Epic, COVID has impacted so many things. It's because of Epic and efficiencies in billing that we have been able to 
make these improvements in collections. Our accounts receivable <laughs> timeline has decreased and much credit is given to Teresa Cooper for her leadership in this. Um, capital fund balance is still outstanding, uh, which is $14 million related to the Epic Sapphire um, build out. And so we are waiting to hear from the county. Um, our CFO shifted that all the way to June of 2022. So we are gonna stop talking about that every month, but never will we forget that that money could potentially be coming our way and it may end up being a, a healthy reserve. Um, so when it comes, we'll use it. Um, Here's portal uploads quarterly per fed specs. This is a question I wrote to myself. I apologize, that didn't make any sense. <laughs> there was some, um, lost revenues because Epic went live before COVID. Uh, things looked weird in the timeline and meant that we had low income, but we also had supplements pop up in June, not July. So things showed up in the previous fiscal year. Again, this was the budget month for this beginning our fiscal year for July. So, you know, the timelines and reporting, things can look weird, but it all balances out. Um, and I'll use a finance phrase here. We're gonna back out the cost report settlements <laughs> from the previous year. Um, and I wasn't quite sure when I took the note if that applied to the line above, but I think it probably did. And CAPH is helping us figure it all out. Um, we also have some settlement funds show up related to COVID noted in the footnote of last year's audit because our CFO is uh, making sure that everything is mentioned. Should we need to go back and demonstrate that we have been spending up all the money that was given to us. Uh, the CARES funding has been really helpful for us to balance our books. And we wanna make sure that we don't get hit with some strange repayment because we didn't account for all of it. And because things, you know, the dates and money being spent, I don't know if I'm speaking Greek y'all, uh, it just made sense to me in the last 10 seconds. So. Hope it makes sense to you all. <laughs> um, there will be a FEMA application, but it hasn't been submitted yet. We have to ensure that there's no double dipping. Federal funds and federal funds. We just want to keep it all straight. Uh, after our CFO report, we had a COO report and update by Mark Fratsky himself, which was great to hear. Uh, we had a presentation and about Huron, giving us information related to the best project. Uh, so we look forward to seeing the implementation of that. And I think we'll have a deeper dive in the coming months and every other month thereafter. Um, there is a steering committee that's helping with the best building excellence and sustainability and trust is that acronym. And the steering committee consists of our CEO, our COO, our CFO, our CIO, and the president of EBMG. So it's an all-star cast, making sure that we build sustainable excellence and trust. There were two contracts we discussed. We'll get to those in the consent calendar soon in this meeting. And both those, those contracts were passed unanimously uh, after some discussion. Uh, so for guidance for the board members, there was no controversy, minimal controversy. And that is it for my report. Thank you, Madam Chair. Trustees, any questions for uh, Trustee Esteem on finance? Barring none, we'll close out item D4 and we'll go to item D5, the executive committee update. Uh, the executive committee met on August 18th, uh, 2021. Remember, this is a non-standing committee. Uh, the executive uh, committee officers are uh, trustees Esteen, trustee Jensen, 
and uh, Trustee Banerjee. Two agenda items were on that. Uh, first was uh, planning for our board retreat. So as a big public reminder, our board retreat is Friday, uh, September 17th. It is virtual. We discussed uh, the, this, uh, the concept of virtual or in-person. There was guidance from our infection control chief that to, to not do this in person. So we are following uh, the, the guidance of that. And um, we discussed four main blocks to what is this agenda, which is evolving. First, uh, we're going to talk about pillars. Uh, we currently have six pillars in the organization. A pimp question, anyone who can name all six, I'll be very impressed with. They are access, sustainability, quality, experience, network, and workforce. So kind of hard. We've had these since about 2011. We're going to have a discussion about these pillars because it might be a great springboard to a discussion about strategic planning. So strategic planning is also a second of big four items that we're going to be discussing. It is possible that uh, uh, a uh, consultant will be selected before that, and it is possible, I, I hope probable, that we'll get a brief introduction to them on, on that day about process and the like. Uh, the third big item is going to be one that I think sits close to all of our hearts, uh, which is the culture of, 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 this, of this organization and as a driver to our success. We're going to be talking about the culture of safety report and use that as a springboard for the rest of, of the discussion and wrapping that with strategic planning and the pillars. And then we'll end the day with board performance. <clears throat> This will be um, uh, an item in which we'll uh, have the opportunity to discuss our board, our, our board self-review. I'm not going to get too much into that because that's actually one of these agenda items right here. And I'm going to defer to trustees Banerjee and Jensen, who have been working super hard to get this one across the finish line. On that day, trustees will have the opportunity. We've made space to end the day by filling the report out or not and doing it on their own time. So we've consciously chosen that board performance is the last agenda item of the day. So our public audience who might be tired at that time can go and, and uh, if they want, or they can hear us talk about ourselves um, and uh, give ourselves space. Um, so with that, that was the executive committee uh, report. Uh, I'll open it up for any questions on, on this item. Not seeing any hands, barring that none, we'll close item D5. Item D6 is the interim CEO recruitment slash onboarding ad hoc committee update uh, by uh, Trustee Banerjee. Thank you, Chair. Um, as you know, in July, the board um, approved us to move into um, working on a permanent agreement with our CEO. Uh, uh, Trustee Friedman and I are um, spearheading that effort. We met in August, uh, 20, uh, August 16th, and uh, basically are working with our CHRO and our general counsel. Uh, the guidance for um, James, of course, continues on a, on a um, regular basis of feedback, but working in the accountabilities, both for our CEO, for ourselves, and other elements of it. So it's ongoing, and then also making sure that, you know, all of the different things that are on our plate right now with um, the Joint Commission, but making sure that we have a people-first approach, um, that we rebuild trust, that we have, like, bring deep 
integrity and accountability to the work that we do um, moving forward. So those are some of the underpinning values that we are working with and um, just really grateful to be working with Trustee Friedman on this process. Thank you, Trustee Banerjee. Trustees, any questions uh, for this committee, item D6? Barring none, we'll close that and we'll go into D7. Trustee Banerjee gets a redux here. So Trustee Banerjee with Trustee Jensen, uh, uh, these uh, trustees have been working hard on a board self-assessment and we'll defer to their presentation on the update on what we're gonna do. Trustees. I'll defer to Trustee Jensen, who has been doing a lot more of the close reading uh, of our instrument. And thanks to Rana as well. With regard, uh, just briefly, um, I actually was going to defer to Rana, um, who's been doing most of the work for us. Um, Rana, actually, I'll, I'll speak for um, Rana and Kinkini and myself. We, we worked with with the Governance Institute, we've looked at their tools, as I think may have been mentioned before to um, the board, and we looked at the tools, the board survey tools that had been used by AHS in the past and came up with a, um, Rana, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's a little over 40 question survey to um, share with the board at, it'll be um, presented, there's some a few things that we're changing and adding, and we just want to make sure we're getting to all of the issues that would be um, allow the board to provide input on what is going well with just with the board of trustees and our communication and our activities and what um, where we can, can use some improvements. So this will be shared. There'll be some pre- survey presentation, I believe, at the um, retreat, and then we'll be sharing the survey at that time. So to reiterate, Trustee Jensen, this is a go live on retreat day? That's right. Plan. And how, trustees, how long will the survey be open for those trustees who might want to cut out early that day and not do their homework right there? Um, we can't, we're not going to allow you to leave. No, just kidding. You're going to be on Zoom, so you'll be able to just turn, turn it off. But, Rana, um, can you mention, I think it's two weeks, but I could be... Maybe a little oh, bit. Two weeks. Either, yeah, I think it was two weeks. It might be like 10 days with a little bit of cushion or something. But, but yeah, it's open It's open for a while. And we'll be sure to send out reminders and stuff like that during the open time. Um, Thank you. Because ideally, we want to be able to look at the results and share more information as we um, are developing the strategic plan and as we are engaging leadership. We want to be able to do this um, towards the end of the year, you know, definitely before we come up with a new budget and adopt a strategic plan. Trustees, any questions of Trustees Banerjee or Jensen? And again, I'm gonna close by appreciation for the trustees and, the, and Madam Clerk, because this this was, uh, it was it was an act of Congress to get it done. Well, I wanna appreciate Rana as well. She's been really on t staying on top of it, staying um, communicating with myself and with Trustee Banerjee. And thank you, Rana, for all your work. Thank you, Rana. Um, with that, uh, seeing no questions, we'll close out the whole section. We'll close out item D. We'll move into item E, consent agenda. Um, uh, Madam Clerk, I apologize, I was late. What were, is there any public comment uh, for any of these items? No, I don't have any for this. Thank you. So again, apologies and appreciation to Trustee Jensen for covering. This is the uh, trustees, the consent agenda is before you. 
There are uh, three items uh, under E1 and E2. There are two items under E2. The minutes are E1. So um, uh, I'll take this opportunity to ask if any trustees would like any of these elements pulled before uh, discussion. No, I don't see anyone pulling anything. So with that, I'll entertain a motion to approve the entirety of the consent agenda. I move approval. Thank you, Trustee Friedman. Second. Trustee Fox won on the second there. So um, Madam Clerk, we'll do a roll call, please. Trustee Banerjee. Aye. Trustee Blue. Aye. Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Dong. Aye. Trustee Esteem. Aye. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Friedman. Aye. Trustee Jensen. Aye. Trustee Splendorio. Aye. Motion passes. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, appreciation to all the staff. Uh, thank you for Mr. Holly always being available right there. I saw him come on video. So thank you, Ira. So um, um, we uh, got that across the finish line. That's good. With this, we'll sort of go to, I guess, one of the marquee presentations for this evening. Uh, I don't know if anyone knows, but there's this thing called COVID-19, and it's uh, uh, affecting uh, the world, our nation, and our organization. Um, uh, I've asked our CEO and our interim chief medical officer to sort of give us a guidance on COVID-19 and its impact on operations, and kudos to Trustee Jensen, who asked this question, I believe, last month, I can't remember in which committee, about its impact on culture. Um, this is something that it would that, that has has it had an indelible uh, impact, scarring some might might say on us, and we just want to hear about this. So um, I give the I see the floor to Mr. Jackson and Trustee uh, and uh, Interim Chief Medical Officer Tornabene to walk us through some of these discussions. Thank you, guys. Excellent. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much, Chair Bouquet, and uh, I second your. Uh, recognition of Trustee Jensen for calling the question on this and really asking for a deep dive on COVID and its impact on AHS. I would ask that the presentation that was uh, delivered be pulled up at this time. Very good. Um, let's move to slide two, please. If, yes, we'll. Um, I, I'm going to start off by providing a high-level overview of the current state, and then I'm going to turn it over to our interim chief medical officer, Dr. Felicia Tornabene, to walk through a lot of the nuances that we have experienced and continue to experience as we are um, managing and um, confronting the COVID pandemic. And so as of uh, Tuesday, yesterday, September 7th, um, we have a total of... Um, 79% or 4,111 of our active employees um, fully vaccinated. So it, with the denominator of 5188 um, and the numerator of 4111, 79%, so almost 80% are fully vaccinated. Um, and so 21% um, are unvaccinated. As of the 23rd of August, unvaccinated or partially vaccinated employees must submit to weekly COVID-19 testing. Sounds simple. It is anything but simple. And so we have established a testing site at San Leandro Hospital. Um, and so staff can make an appointment. They can come in and get tested. There are other ways that they can be tested, but we really wanted to create a, a setting where they could quickly go and get a test done to facilitate their ability to not 
negatively impacted their ability to come into work. Um, and that's been up for about two and a half weeks now, and it's going reasonably well. All these opportunities for improvement, but we are really working to make this as, you know, um, pain-free, if you will, for staff to allow them to work. Um, what we've also done, which is not noted here, is that we took our weekly um, chat, our desktop chat, which I lead, um, and there's a panel of subject matter experts. Last week's uh, desktop chat was completely dedicated to COVID. So we had a bit of a COVID town hall. Um, we've developed a set of Q&As, which were available on our intranet. And um, we took the Q&As that are the most, excuse me, the FAQs, which are the most frequently asked are the ones that really seem to be most perplexing the staff. And we just walked through them. And so we spent the noon hour last Wednesday really going chapter and verse um, on all of these issues with staff. It was very, very well attended. We had about 300 people who signed in for that event. Um, moving through the bullet, September 30th is the last day for healthcare workers to become fully vaccinated. Those who have a valid and approved medical or religious exemption must continue to submit to weekly COVID-19 testing after the deadline. And any employee who refuses to comply with this order will be taken off the schedule without pay and will face discipline up to and including termination. Um, this is consistent with um, the governor's orders and with the, um, our contemporaries in the community. And so this is something that we don't take lightly, but we really feel that in order to provide safety for our workforce and for those we serve, that these are the steps that are necessary. And so um, working closely with labor, Lorna is on the line and she's been in active conversations with our labor partners about how this will be um, implemented and really want to, to the extent possible, um, approach those who are experiencing vaccine hesitancy in a, a spirit of, of openness and collaboration to try to help move them from their hesitancy so that they can see their way clear to getting the shot. Um, we believe that termination is really the last resort, but if necessary, that will be the step taken. I will stop now and I will turn it over to Dr. Tornabene for the balance of the presentation. Great, thanks, Mr. Jackson. So um, uh, the next set of slides will be walking us through how AHS uh, is responding to the COVID-19 pandemic. Obviously, we're many, many months in now. Um, so this is our, our, our COVID surge at Alameda Health System. So um, the far right is September, but that's really only one day in September. So really take a look at the, the dots just to the, um, to the left there. Um, and that really represents our August surge. So as you can see, our, our August numbers are not as high as they were in our winter surge, but still really quite sizable, especially as you can see in the orange at the Highland campus. But certainly there was um, plenty of COVID-19 patients at San Leandro and Alameda as well. Um, as Mr. Jackson noted earlier, that um, we are fortunate that our COVID-19 numbers have started to come down slightly, um, and that's our of our admitted patients. And so today, and I think you heard Dr. Besh say 17 yesterday, we're at 16 today. Um, our peak a few weeks ago uh, across the system were 33 hospitalized patients all at one time. So, so we're certainly about half of that and, and hope to continue to see that trend. Next slide. So I put this in here. This is a, a, a screenshot from the CDC. 
And uh, really, I know that some of the printing is small on this slide, but the um, this is a snip of the COVID variants in region nine. So the state of California is in region nine. If we looked at the entire US, we would see the same thing. And this is week by week data on the COVID variants and Delta is orange. As you can see, Delta took over this summer and, and it is by far the dominant circulating var variant here in region nine, but really across the United States as well. Trustee Jensen earlier made reference to mu. We don't yet know what that what that variant is going to do and how it's going to interact with the circulating Delta variant. But but certainly um, it's a very dramatic graph here um, to see how how Delta the Delta variant really took over um, the the COVID variants across the U.S. Uh, so next slide. So. Um, Alameda Health System uh, um, has responded in so many different ways, one of which was the reopening of the drive-up COVID-19 testing site for patients. So as some of you might know, that, that we took a brief pivot to um, offering our COVID-19 testing inside for our patients, and we, were, we, we started um, uh, testing uh, our patients offering swabbing at our indoor phlebotomy stations. However, it became clear um, with the transmissibility, transmissibility of the COVID-19 variant, the Delta variant, um, that we needed to reopen the outside drive-up COVID testing site. So that reopened about a month ago. We responded to guidance from uh, CD, CDPH on restricting visitation. And so we've done that in uh, our acutes as well as post-acute and in ambulatory, consistent with the guidance from CDPH. And then as we've heard uh, from Mr. Jackson, that we did develop a process for testing unvaccinated staff and physicians at San Leandro. Um, our recovery oversight committee continues to meet every week. In fact, we met this afternoon in order to have eyes on the COVID situation across Alameda Health System and of course uh, across the county as well so that we can uh, remain on top of what's happening and how, how we can um, adapt our system as needed um, to the surge. So next slide, please. As of 9-1, so we got this updated information from Dr. Mawazid, who is uh, one of our key leaders here in responding to the pandemic. So this surge um, has a significantly younger median age. Um, in addition, the majority of our patients who are admitted uh, in this surge are unvaccinated. So 83% of our uh, admitted patients are unvaccinated. Um, this wave also has a slightly higher rate of ICU admission. So our, in our prior wave, it was 24%. This wave is 27%, so slightly higher. Uh, treatment is guided by our COVID-19 treatment committee. There are physicians from across the organizations as well as our, our pharmacy that helps issue guidelines to AHS on what uh, treatments um, uh, to provide for patients hospitalized 
with COVID-19. And we continue to test all patients, whether or not they're suspected of having COVID-19. We test all patients that are being admitted to the hospital. That of course includes all patients that are coming in for elective surgeries as well. Next slide. So this one uh, uh, goes into our staff vaccination requirements. I'll actually not spend too much time here because of the information that we heard from uh, Mr. Jackson. Um, however, one of the key items is that uh, we are offering testing to our staff and we are expecting external testing uh, results um, that our staff might be able to access other testing sites as well. Next slide, please. In ambulatory, these are the vaccines that we have offered to our patients and, and provided and administered to our patients. So indeed, you can see there was a huge wave of vaccination for our patients in the spring, and we continue to have some uptake in terms of the, the vaccinations of our patients. But indeed, uh, I would love to see an upward slope on the vaccination for our patients. And I think uh, that's part of the strategy that, that we're working on and how, and how do we reach more of our patients in order to bring them in so that we have um, uh, you know, more COVID vaccinations um, in our ambulatory patient population. Next slide, please. Most of our vaccinations have been administered at the Highland campus. We have a, a, a clinic site in the HCP building. Um, however, we're also offering vaccines at uh, Eastmont Wellness and Hayward Wellness, and we're looking to expand into routine operations into our other clinics as well. Next slide, please. In ambulatory care, there's a playbook that was developed uh, last summer that is still in use that helps guide uh, our, our staff in the clinics about how to care for uh, COVID-19 patients safely. In addition, um, we did launch our telehealth modality Doximity um, uh, August 17th, and um, that's also been a great way to reach our patients in terms of this new um, telehealth platform. And we continue to have centralized RN triage in order to, to support our patients who are calling into our call center and need help in terms of guidance. They might have symptoms, they're not quite sure what to do, and that's guided through our RN triage system. Next slide, please. So in post-acute, uh, we, are, we are testing all of our unvaccinated and partially vaccinated staff twice per week, consistent with the, the guidance from CDPH. We also, like in our acute, we do screen our, our visitors and we do require a, a validation of COVID vaccination status. Uh, we continue to have um, a daily temperature and symptom screening at the door. Uh, this continues also in our acutes, uh, especially the symptom screening in our acutes. And uh, we are still in our post-acute in two of our buildings in outbreak status right now. So the details that you can see on this slide are from, uh, are from September 1st, but we do continue to be in outbreak status at Fairmont and in Parkbridge. At Parkbridge right now, we consider that building to be a full yellow zone because what we're trying to do is minimize um, uh, minimizing group activities, for example, that might uh, uh, increase the risk of transmission. Um, uh, at
at at uh, Fairmont, the the patients um, who are positive are able to be more isolated, so we don't have to have that entire building um, be a yellow zone. So our resident vaccination in, in post-acute continues to be very high. 92% at the time of this slide were, uh, were fully vaccinated and 86, oh, sorry, were, uh, had their first dose and 86% have had their second dose. And our vaccination rates and our staff also uh, continues to be quite high. Of course, we hope to see that even higher in the coming weeks with uh, the vaccination mandate um, by the end of September. So with that, um, uh, last slide is I, I open it up to any questions or additions from either Mr. Jackson or Teresa Cooper if there's anything else to add. Thank you Dr. Tornabene and Mr. Jackson. Um, that's a great uh, lead in. Uh, Trustee Fox. Just wondering just wondering if uh, we have any plans to start offering boosters to our staff and patients. So uh, right now, what we're doing is offering the third dose to our patients that are immunocompromised. So that's considered a, a third dose for those who, who likely did not have a robust immune response with the first two shots. We will likely, we will be providing the boosters once we get firm guidance from CDPH regarding when and how we should offer them. Uh, but certainly that is our plan. Trustee Jensen, then Trustee Splendorio. Uh, thank you, Dr. Turner-Benny. And um, that was an excellent presentation. Thank you for your, your getting, gathering the data and responding to um, my suggestion. I, um, you know, I appreciate your, your slide about the patient characteristics of the current surge. And as Dr. Besh noted at QPSC, the new surge does have younger patients. And, um, and that's, a challenge for staff, you know, who were seeing older patients and um, perhaps not patients in the prime coming in to, to um, be treated for this disease. And my question is um, related to that slide, and you, you point out that the there's a slightly higher rate of ICU admission. And so my question is about resources. In addition to um, masks and gowns that were that were a, a huge issue for our staff, for for um, for everyone at AHS and throughout the healthcare system, um, providing masks and gowns, which I think it sounds like, uh, you know, we have, that's been resolved and there is gap, masks and gowns are available and in high supply. But um, my, my question is about resources at the hospitals. You mentioned the ICU admissions and um, as everyone will recall, call for the first year of the epidemic, it was, um, the oxygen, everyone was being, it was on oxygen. There was tenting and um, oxygen masking and isolation. And I just am wondering, is that still the case? And are AHS resources sufficient for those needs? Yeah, so our supplies have all been quite good. I think that the one concern is that um, uh, tocilizumab, one of our medications has been back ordered. And so that has been, and that's back ordered across the country. And so I, that's been uh, a challenge to get that medication. Um, but uh, of all of the other supplies to care for the patient, that's really the main one. Sorry, the, the, um, I guess I didn't really state it very well, but are we, with regard to the ICU admission and with regard to the patient characteristics of this surge, are these patients similarly being, um, 
being isolated and um, and intubate or you know uh, having oxygen, supplemental oxygen, and um, tenting and those types of, of of services. Yes, yeah. So the the care in the ICU has really um, been the same. A lot of supportive care besides the medications, um, and then um, the proning maneuvers um, as well. So so overall, the the care. Um, remains the same, and we have certainly been able to offer that in all of our ICUs. Thank you. Thank you, Trustee Jensen. Trustee Spandorio, then Trustee Friedman. Thank you, Taft. Uh, <clears throat> I want to go back to page two, the the, the PowerPoint. Um, I'd like. I'm interested in the percentage increase in the rate of vaccinations between August 23 and September 7th. Do you know what it was? I mean, I see what it is on September 7th. What was it on August 23? I'm sorry, um, um, Mr. Jackson, are you able to address that or Lorna? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I apologize. I'm not quite clear on the question. If you wouldn't mind, Trustee Splendori, if you could state your question again. Um, so I'm just interested in how the percentage moved from August 23 to September 7th. On September 7th, it shows that the number, the percentage vaccinated was 79%. I'm curious what it was, the percentage on August 23. I see. I, I do not have that at the ready. It, it's certainly doable. I just did not come prepared with that unless Lorna knows that answer offhand, but um, it would not be hard for us to get that information for you, trustee. Well, you're, you're, you're probably understanding what I'm asking. Yeah. Was there an incentive? Did it work? We're, we're looking for the delta on the intervention or, yes. or the announcements. My rough recollection, uh, and again, uh, always challenged my memory, was I think we were at 72% roughly uh, around that time. So I think, and again, this is very rough off the top of my head, and Lorna saved me, um, is I think, it, I think it went 72 to 79 over that time, I think. That Does is that sound correct. right? That's that's my recollection as well. It was either at 72% or 73. <laughs> okay. Thank you for protecting me, Ms. Jones. <laughs> so that means about 350 people actually were motivated by the, the order. I would say, I would say that they also, we, we started receiving some vaccination cards for people that were already vaccinated, but they hadn't sent them in as uh. well. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, yes, Mr. You're, I forgot about that part. There, even, I know in the med staff, there's been uh, 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 we haven't had full documentation on people are like, oh, I've been vaccinated. You got to send your card in. So I think that that somehow, which is probably where we won't be able to calculate uh, necessarily. But uh, uh, I, I like your question, Trustee Spandorio. What's the delta? We care about how we're moving, uh, how we're moving the pieces subsequently. Um, Trustee Friedman, sir. Yeah, thank you. For a great presentation. Um, do we have any data about the reasons why patients that were seen chose not to be vaccinated? And also, do we have that same information for our staff who have chosen not to be vaccinated despite every opportunity and all the education that you've been doing? Mm, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I, I haven't seen any survey results regarding our our, our patients and why they're declining. So I can certainly um, look into that. And then 
Um, I defer to, to Ms. Jones about whether or not we've gotten that from our staff, but I'll, I'll certainly, um, trustee, look into whether or not we have patient um, reasons for declination, and we'll get back to you on that. Thank you. Trustee Friedman, it's Richard. For post-acute, um, we've had a pretty high vaccination rate of our residents, but those who have not, the majority of them, it's because it's been under emergency use. And I think they were waiting for it to be approved by the FDA. And so we're starting to see within the last two weeks, um, some of those residents who had declined previously start um, becoming vaccinated. So we have seen some movement on that. Um, that that's good news. And to comment um, to um, James's comment earlier about testing, it, you know, in the post-acute, it's been a heavy lift for over a year and three months where the teams continue to test the residents and their staff themselves. Uh, and we have very strict uh, adherence to CDPH and public health reporting that we have to do daily. And so um, I'm sending emails to James and, and Dr. Turnabene uh, pretty frequently in terms of tests that we're doing every three days and outbreak status for staff and residents um, so that we have a very strong control, which has proven to be very effective with only three um, positives in post-acute amongst uh, over 300 patients is, is a pretty strong um, showing of our infection prevention protocols that the teams are following. Thank you, Mr. Espinoza. That's great, great uh, commentary on that. Uh, I see Mr. Jackson has his hand up. Thank you. Um, I, I did want to speak to the question that Trustee Friedman asked. Um, we have not done a formal survey of staff, but I can share some of the anecdotals that we've received. Um, earlier, there was the, uh, I think it was um, Lorna mentioned uh, the, the idea of um, the experimental use um, authorization. And so a lot of staff had expressed that they wanted to see formal FDA approval. And so that's happened. Um, we also have heard staff um, talk about their um, concerns in terms of religious exemptions. And so during the ROC meeting today, we talked about the fact that um, one of the, frankly, the rumors is that there were fetal um, cells used during the development of the vaccines. In fact, that's not the case. And so we are working to dispel that misperception about how vac this vaccine was was created, if you will. And so really trying to, again, and that's what I was alluding to when I said meeting people's um, hesitation with um, information and dispelling rumors. And so really trying to understand what is the source of the hesitation. And then if we can address it with factual information, that's what we're trying to do. Thank you, Mr. Jackson. Certainly. Uh, my question is uh, probably led uh, to be uh, taken by Ms. Jones, but I'll, I'll leave this up to Mr. Jackson as well to comment. Uh, Ms. Jones, can you comment on the kind of, uh, I'll call it the evolution of the dialogue with our labor partners on this vaccine mandate for this important health initiative? This gives a, a characterization. Um, well, I can tell you it's actually been very surprisingly um, welcomed. Um, we weren't anticipating that, but I would say that all of our labor partners have come to the conversation supporting um, vaccination, um, wanting to support their members as well, but giving them the freedom of choice, but at the same time, understanding the constraints of being, you know, in, in public health and having to provide care. So um, we've been able to work through most of our issues and concerns. I, I meet with SEIU 10 to 1 again tomorrow. 
um, but we've had two um, meetings with them. I wasn't a party to them. My staff was, but they had two meetings to discuss um, all the questions and concerns related to that. And uh, we also had a conversation with CNA, California Nurses Association, that went very positively. Um, so I, I'm pleasantly surprised, to be honest with you. And again, we'll touch base with SEIU 10 to 1 tomorrow. Well, thank you, Ms. Jones. That's that's nice, and uh, I'll give kudos to our labor partners. We like positive discussion and positive dialogue, especially on critical health issues. So appreciation to them and appreciation to you, Ms. Jones, for helping navigate uh, potentially challenging waters. Trustees, any other comments or questions for this agenda item? I know it's we're, we're going to continue to hear these reports because um, it's important. We're coming I have one in. question. Oh, Trustee Banerjee, of course. Um, are we anticipating, as you're thinking about both testing as well as vaccination, um, the pediatric population for us? Like, will you have to ramp up for that? And also now with schools open, are our staff like having to, has that, I don't know um, from the school issue what, what has been. So are they having to bring their family or children in for testing? Do you see a surge in that? So um, I don't I don't know that we've seen a surge in the pediatric population for testing. I'd have to look at the data, but we definitely offer testing down to age two at our drive up uh, testing site. Um, uh, and then if vaccinations, we also offer it down to age 12 right now, which is the you know the approved age um, thus far, but but certainly, um, it, it's our intention to be able to offer it to the younger ages once uh, that gets approved. Thank you. Any other questions or comments on this? Appreciation, this, this is uh, Herculean work and it's, and it's not going to stop in the short term. And we're going into classical flu season right now. As an interesting side note, flu season was somewhat attenuated, significantly attenuated last year presumably related to masks. Wear your masks and get vaccinated. With that, we will close out item F1. And um, that closes um, much of the dialogue that we have. Item G is staff reports. These are written reports uh, submitted to the board and the public for review. We have two items, our CFO's report, which was uh, previously given at the prior finance committee meeting, and the COO report, which was also given at that committee meeting. I'll open this uh, opportunity up to the trustees for any questions on these written reports. Wow. I actually don't have a question about the report, but I wanted to ask Mark Kratzky a question about an earlier report about actually about Dr. Afsali's um, report. Um, uh, Yes, ma'am. I think that's uh, uh, Mr. Jackson. uh, You want me to take this one or you? I'd be happy to. Um, yes, sir. Um, Trustee Jensen, um, Mark Fratsky is not present this evening. Um, I'm I'm standing in his stead because he had an excused uh, issue that he had to attend to, but I would be happy to address your question. Uh, okay. Um, well, someone could get back to me, too. I was just curious about the, um, the 5150, um, how the 5150s are, um, are distributed. You know, I in Alameda, I can see from people that I talked to at Alameda Police and Fire Department. Um, the a fire chief is my colleague on the board of Alameda Healthcare District. And, and um, from other reports that there's anywhere from usually weekly five to seven 
5150s. And so my question was going to be to Mark was um, whether AHS has any impact on the distribution or the, the where those 5150s are um, are cared for, where they are sent, whether they're, they remain. And I know we've heard a report about this about five years ago, but whether they stay at the um, police or fire department until they can be released tele, by tele, um, telecare, telemedicine, or whether they, the ones in Alameda all are admitted to Alameda ED. So I, I think it's probably a little bit too much of a, um, too many issues and too big of a question to answer right now, but I just, just a heads up, that's something that I would like to get more information about. I'd be happy to pursue that. Thank you. Thank you for that, Trustee Jensen. Trustees, any other comments? Going once, going twice, that's three times. We're closing out item G. Uh, now um, we'll be moving into closed session in a second. Um, uh, public, uh, we anticipate probably about 45 minutes or so in closed session. We'll make announcements if any actions are taken when we come out. But if you're not here, when we come back, I hope you have a good evening. Council? The board will now go into closed session to consider those items stated on the agenda. Everyone have a great evening.